welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guests on today's podcast, joining me from their home in Lakeview, Massachusetts, are my new friends, Kimmy and Dave Martin. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Richard. Glad I'm to, happy to be here. Glad to be here. Um, we're going to talk about um, their son, Levi, who died um, by suicide in December of 2022. So trigger warning to anybody that's um, suicidal or suicidal thoughts that we'll be talking about that tender subject. And if you have those thoughts, all of us um, would encourage you to reach out to 988 text call chat. Um, I thought by way of introducing this, I would read a little bit from Levi's obituary that's so well written. I'll read the first two paragraphs, listeners, and we'll link to this in the show notes. Levi Martin, age 17, formerly known to many as Emma, passed away suddenly at his home in Lakeville, Massachusetts on Sunday, December 18, 2022. Levi is the child of David and Kimmy Martin. He was born Emma Rachel Martin in Montgomery, Alabama on March 19, 2005. Levi's gender was intersex, intersex caused by Sawyer syndrome meaning he presented as female at birth, although he was genetically male. The result of this condition and gender dysphoria and resulting gender dysphoria came with a host of medical and mental issues. Combined with social stigma associated with being intersex, transgender, and gay, Levi suffered immensely until the constancy of that pain became unbearable. His final message to us was full of grace, love, and forgiveness, as well as expressions of vast difficulties he faced, and he signed his name Levi, which was deliberately used in his honor, and ask you to do the same. So I'm grateful to have you two on the podcast. You're going to talk about a social media post that's gone about as viral as anything in this space I've seen. And it, we all felt for listeners that want to hear directly and hear your voices and more of the story of, of Levi. I'm grateful for you willing to come on the podcast. Uh, we prayed ahead of time, listeners, and we invited Levi to be here. Um, I hope that's okay. I feel like his work on earth was important, and I think his work continues. And I think you talking about him, um, he's somehow aware of that and recognizing his legacy and his story is helping others. And I decided to me that he's brings him a measure of peace. Um, so with that introduction, I'll turn it over to Dave and Kimmy to share their story. Thank you so much, Richard. It, it is an honor for us to be here and, and to help um, more people know about and understand Levi's legacy. You know, this all started uh, from the standpoint of uh, my posting uh, a thank you, really, to so many people that were so wonderful in providing uh, service to us from family and friends and neighbors and, and church members, you know, offering prayers, uh, sending flowers or food or even walking the dog. Uh, we were so grateful to, for that and really haven't felt in a position to to write thank you notes. So on upon Levi's 18th birthday, which was basically three months after his passing, I posted on Facebook um, a thank you to, to tell people how much uh, their thoughts and prayers and service meant to us. 
And then after I, I posted it, I thought, oh, I should add the eulogy that was uh, so powerful. And, and we were so wonderful to have a uh, dear, dear friend in church do ghost writing for that, that we were able to uh, to modify slightly. And it, it told his story. And that's what we wanted his legacy to get out there. One of our friends uh, said, hey, we'd really like to share this. Uh, would you mind making it public so uh, we can do so? I said, sure. Okay, let's do that. And then we just sat back and were literally shocked how quickly the number of shares added up. I think as of this morning, we were looking at over 6,500 shares with over 5,000 reactions and 600 plus comments. Um, and just a few days after that, uh, the folks from Lift and Love uh, reached out to us and said, hey, we'd like to post um, this story on, on our on our social media pages. And we said, sure, that would be great, uh, getting that story out there. And they, after a few days, told us that, hey, this has been viewed and shared over 30,000 times. Wow. It is amazing, Richard. We had people from as far away as Australia reaching out to ask if they could share it in their community. Uh, we're so pleased it's really crossed the, the, the church boundaries, you know, social media into really more mainstream in really many different forums and faith traditions. Uh, we had no idea that uh, his story would touch so many people. And, and I think the his story resonates so much because it's at, at the perfect time where, unfortunately, in, in our country, in the U.S., you're seeing many states uh, pass bans on gender affirming care, which, you know, that's really our prime motivator to get Levi's story widely distributed as possible. So more people will have proximity to trans people because, you know, if you don't have proximity, you quite often don't have understanding. And, and unfortunately, there's a kind of demonized caricature that's being uh, pushed out there that some people, if they don't know, they, they don't understand. Um, so we would really just love to say we're overwhelmed by the kindness and support that had been shown in all these comments. Uh, usually you'll get uh, some detractors. We've only had one or two. Uh, that's it out of so many. And, and as they shared their stories of um, sometimes of, of not understanding and now having their eyes open or people that have gone through something similar and our hearts have gone out to them as they've shared stories of loss uh, and we mourn with them. So we, we have read so many of the comments till it became, you know, overwhelming to try to keep up with them. But we really did try to read all of them, um, not just on Dave's post, but on the post by, by Lift and Love. And we're, like we said, just astounded by the positivity and the kindness and love to the point where, you know, we're, we're in tears reading the comments um, and how, how kind they were and how loving. So. It, it has been overwhelming in a lot of ways, not just the number of shares, but the themes that were said. And we wish mm. that people could could um, all see Levi and people like Levi, transgender or, who, or any teenager who's struggling with LGBTQ as real people. And we, we would see that in the comments. And we this is why we're, even though we're still in the depths of grief over losing him, we want to share his story. Thank you. A little bit of background uh, for your listeners so they know who we are. Um, we 
kind of felt we were usually the typical Mormon story a little bit. Um, we met at BYU. Uh, I was a return missionary. I, I joined the church as a convert at 16, um, just by myself. Uh, decided to go to BYU and then went on a mission, came back. And at our opening social at the ward, standing behind uh, Kimi and just had a conversation. And we ended up being family home evening brothers and sisters. And uh, very quickly started spending all of our time together and fell in love. And and my my background is I'm I'm a sixth generation member going back to the 1830s. My great 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 grandfather was a neighbor of Joseph Smith in Nauvoo. You know all of those kind of stories. Um, so raised in a very strong faithful family. So we've always thought we we got the best of both world, worlds here with with my background in the church and Dave's being a convert that it, it gave a, a good perspective on things. Yep. Before we left BYU, we had our first child. Yeah. Which uh, we've had seven children born to us over a span of twenty years. So it was uh, <laughs> we had. Raising children was a, has been a long-time activity for us, yes. <laughs> and I know it never ends, but, uh, you know, after we had um, six children, we, we felt we were, well, we thought we were done. We, we maybe hoped we, done. we hoped we were done, but we were always searching for that confirmation that so many people talk about saying, yeah, we just knew that that was it, and we did not feel that, and so. I, I spent probably a year fighting off the idea that there's someone else coming. At this point, we were tired, you know, very busy, active family. Dave's uh, church calling and and job kept him very busy. Of course, I was busy with the kids. And we were also in our 40s at this point. <laughs> we said, no, I cannot. But it, the thought would not leave me alone. Um, and at one point, I asked Dave for a blessing to could have some peace from this. And instead of the thought leaving me alone, it just felt stronger. So we knew, we okay, we needed to have another child at this point. And, you know, as, so here in our 40s, we're um, pregnant with our seventh child. And there came a, a time where everybody was sick in the household. And it was, uh, as you could hear in Kimi's voice, it was, it was a tough time being very busy work, very uh, heavy uh, leadership callings. Um, so we we needed a blessing. So we asked a dear friend, home teacher, to come over and, and give us a blessing because uh, we're all ill. And so he proceeded to, to bless from the youngest to the oldest. And then uh, he came to me and through the blessing, uh, he stopped. Uh, there was this long silence period. And I'm wondering there under his hands going, oh, oh, goodness, <laughs> what's going on here? Um, and afterwards, after he concluded it, he told us he was just overcome by this incredible feeling of love, love for us uh, and being willing to bring another child of Heavenly Fathers into the world um, and just just very overwhelming. That experience just meant so much to us. And, and you'll see as we go through our story, that individual will come back in there to to the story and and explain a little more of, of what he was actually feeling as uh, we all gained a little more spiritual uh, maturity on that. So, so Levi was born. He was born Emma. Um, we, I want to add a little bit more to that. When, when we did have Quinn uh, tell us more about it, you know, just recently, 
he shared this about it. He said, there was a deep sense of deep gratitude and love that burned in my heart. I believe the Lord wanted to express his deep trust, gratitude, and love for you and Kimi for your willingness to bring another of his precious children to earth. I also believe he wanted you to know of his deep love for Levi. So that was very precious to us. Um, our good friend uh, is now a area authority, and, and he had forgot some of that experience and said, hey, let me go to the Lord in prayer to bring back those memories, and which he did, and was then able to recapture those feelings and with the spiritual maturity kind of say, hey, this was also a love about Levi as well as just love for you that kind of all around in this experience to uh, bring this child to earth that uh, our Heavenly Father was aware of what would happen and was grateful for everyone's willingness to participate in that. So that, that gave us a lot of comfort as he blessed us again uh, right before the funeral that we had. Give me want to talk a little bit about uh, Levi's early life. Okay, so uh, as you can imagine, with, with uh, six older siblings, um, Levi was never put down. They fought over who got to hold him. It was my turn. You know, he was very, very well loved. But he was also a very anxious and what I call the high-strung baby, just kind of tense and stiff and not cuddly in the least. Um, he could tense up so much that he was stiff like a board, even as a, as a newborn. Um, but he was also, as he grew, he was a happy, smiling, funny kid. Um, he liked to be the annoying youngest child and, and liked making his older siblings laugh and just had a terrific sense of humor. He was also very stubborn and independent and energetic. And um, he would change quickly. His moods could change quickly from being very happy and enjoying life to getting very mad. Uh, he had tantrums pretty much every day until he was seven. And there was a time when I asked him, well, you know, do you remember that? And what made you stop having those tantrums? And he said that he still felt mad. He just held it in after that and, and quit having the tantrums. Um, he wouldn't wear jeans or new clothes or anything that would irritate him. Uh, and we learned later that he had what's called sensory modulation disorder which is basically a condition where, where non-painful st stimuli, such as touch or volume or, or for him, crowds of people were perceived as abnormally irritating and unpleasant or even painful to him. And he had what we called supersonic hearing. He could hear us. We'd be on one floor in the kitchen and he'd be on another floor in his bedroom and we'd say something and he would yell out an answer to us. He could hear us anywhere in the house. Um, he hated crowds and noise and, and people so much that uh, taking him places like the aquarium or a museum was really difficult. I, I remember a time when he was probably four, taking him to the, the New England Aquarium, thought that would be a fun trip. And as the day progressed, he got more and more agitated to where he just completely melt down and we ended up taking him out with him screaming, I hate sea turtles. I hate jellyfish. <laughs> so we just couldn't take him places very often. Um, did you want to do this? Yeah. Levi also with that was just 
had a brilliant mind. Uh, just amazing. He learned to read at, at a very young age. Uh, in fourth grade, he read uh, Huckleberry Finn. And it, it, Levi just loved to research. I mean, he was, uh, that's what he spent most of his time on. Many Besides playing video games, he would research and research. And, and unfortunately, quite often, he knew more about uh, most everything than I did. So it was... <laughs> A little, we get into arguments because he's a lot like me sometimes that we think we know what's right, but he was <laughs> he knew more than, than what I did on most everything, and so he did well in school. Um, up until middle school when things started, uh, started happening. This is an example of the just with all his reading, his great vocabulary skills. We were talking one time and he used the word laconic, and I said, Uh, you know, I don't think that means what you think it means. So I said, oh, let's go to the dictionary. Of course, he was right, and I was wrong. <laughs> um, I, I remember the arguments we had about communism, and he would say, you know, there is no communism in the world. And I'd say, well, Russia, China, you know, the, the, the communist countries. He goes, that they, what they practice is not communism. So we had to go to the definition of communism, and yes, he was correct. They are not true communists, as according to the definition. So. Um, he just researched and learned, and uh, he would make sure he educated us. That brings us pretty much up to puberty. You know, we didn't realize um, when when puberty was about to hit, there were some changes that were just became very difficult. We look back at pictures now of pre-puberty, and we see this smiling, happy child. And then after puberty, when that was starting, we look at pictures where um, very much more serious, more um, soulful, just a little more painful pictures. Yes, there, there was, but there's just a this distinct difference in his affect between the two, and we really noticed it um, as we were choosing pictures in December to to share at his funeral. What a difference there was! Um, his body was just so confused, and we have five older daughters. We've been through girls having puberty before. We knew what it was like. Um, so at first, when he started having issues, we thought, okay, well, you know, he's going through puberty and just blamed it on that. But then we started to realize that it was much more than that. I mean, we saw a child who went from a straight-A student to one who couldn't complete assignments from this, like Dave was saying, this chatty, happy child to one who spent most of his time in his bedroom, not interacting with anyone. Um, this this was different. And it is at this point that we started to search out a therapist to find out what was going on. And at, at, at this time, you know, it became very hard to find a therapist. Uh, it took uh, quite a while for somebody that had an opening for an adolescent. So finally we found one. We've had Levi therapy, and then after a while, the therapist calls Kimi into the room and tells you. And at that point, we learned that he had been having suicidal thoughts for over a year. So starting with probably when he was 12, because he was now 13. Um, and that was just that was just devastating to hear. And that, at that point, then, it really becomes a story of, hospitalization uh, for uh, suicidal ideation, a round of therapists. We've changed several times because nothing was really happening with them. Uh, frequent meetings with school counselors. 
medications. Uh, these were this was a really tough period uh, for him and for us. So this this from when we learned about his suicidal ideation, which resulted in a hospitalization that night. The therapist said go immediately to the hospital because he had um, he needed to be there right away. Um, from that point for the next few months, as we're adjusting to all the medications and, and the therapy and talking to everything, and then he ended up being hospitalized again just a couple months later, uh, it, it was. It was a devastating time for us. There are some things that, uh, it, as Levi was in, in therapy and trying to find ways to learn to, to cope or, um, you know, with recognizing when you're going through a tough period and how, what are some strategies to, to cope? Um, I think after, after his uh, passing, Kimi found something that he'd written that uh, really struck us. Why don't you share that? Yeah. And, um, and this was about um, something he really loved to do, which he loved to swim. We had an in-ground pool in the backyard and he just loved it. It was hard to get him out of the pool sometimes. And these are things that he wrote when he was 13. So about this time that all of, all of this really tough time is going on, he says, swimming to me is very peaceful. When you go fully submerged underwater, you feel warm and comforted from all the pressure around you. Most of the time it is very quiet underwater, if not completely silent, and you can make sounds that nobody can hear. Because I love music so much, I sing songs and vocalize songs from shows and movies and games. Whenever I get out of the pool, all that I want to do is go back into the peaceful water. It is like almost like nothing exists. Um, he, he, as he was changing, his body was changing in puberty. He became very self-conscious about being in front of other people. That included swimming, unfortunately. Uh, he also loved to play the piano and was was quite good at that. Had been taking lessons. He ended up quitting the music lessons, the piano lessons, because he of his social anxiety. He was uncomfortable being in that close of, of a position with the, the piano teacher, but he still loved to play. And so he would play and, and talk himself from then on, but he didn't even want us to hear him. We would come home from somewhere and realize he'd been playing the piano and he would stop so we couldn't hear him anymore. So, um, but that was one of the ways he would soothe himself and help him feel better. So he started struggling with church concepts at going to church at around 12 or 13, the same time. Um, I was in the Young Women's Presidency at the time, and I noticed that Levi was not attending young women. And so I went searching for him and found him hiding in the bathroom, and he just refused to go to young women. And so I'm there asking him, what's wrong? You know, is someone being mean to you? Or what What is the problem? And he, he wouldn't tell me. He just wouldn't tell me why he wouldn't want to go. Um, and then during the quarantine, he refused to participate at all in taking the sacrament or watching the Zoom meetings. And he did not return to church after... Uh, church was opened up again after the, the quarantine. And we know now that, you know, knowing how much he researches everything, we know that he researched the church teachings about LGBTQ. Uh, and he was feeling trans at this point. So we know that he had, had researched it and wasn't comfortable um, attending church anymore. Yeah, one of the things that we would mention to your listeners is that uh, 
we just had a wonderful friend in church who's actually the first person who showed up after we called the police uh, uh, after Levi committed suicide. But he wrote uh, most of the eulogy and the obituary that uh, Richard read part of. He wrote a short story from Levi's perspective because um, he was also a Sunday school teacher and um, had a lot of experiences with Levi. And it was recently published online in something called Eriantum. It's an online journal for the Association for Mormon Letters. Uh, the story is called, I Can Take It. No, I Can't Take or Leave It If I Please. One of the things we, we appreciate about this, um, it, it was written from Levi's perspective of how his mind worked in so many different areas. Uh, it's not too far of how we really imagine Levi talking to God about his life experiences when he got there. So now, kind of bring this um, forward. It, you know, uh, Levi had very uh, several diagnoses. Uh, he was ADHD. He was prone to severe depression and anxiety, uh, social social anxiety, panic disorder. Um, he did go back to school. Uh, he took on medicine and therapies and really disliked all of it. And so he spent a lot of his time in the counselor's office doing his schoolwork there. And he spent a lot of time A there. lot of time there talking to the counselor. Uh, so he was spending a couple of hours a day in the counselor's office by the end of his eighth grade year. Uh, just a tremendous amount of time. Um, and so I was working with the counselors deciding which classes he could drop and you know how he could still pass uh pass eighth grade it was it was really tough um and he one of the things about him he he would tell us he was convinced that he was going to die young and he he would read up on all his diagnoses and add his own and so one of the things that he had figured out for himself and i don't doubt it but he decided that he was on the autism spectrum. So he was never formally diagnosed with that, but um, I, I would not be surprised. And then uh, later, uh, another doctor would diagnose him with borderline personality disorder. So we have all these different diagnoses, and we have to wonder now just how much of them came about by his body fighting against itself. How much of it was due to that? We don't know, obviously, but. Um, and what was looking back at it, Levi was not forthcoming through the, all these therapy sessions that, that we've talked about no. to this point, no. you know, in terms of uh, feeling that he was uh, trans. He never shared that. So he really had a problem with opening up. And so I think that's why there was never much progress made with with the therapy, because he, he wasn't being uh, truly truthful and, and open with them. And so as we transition as his school, we talked about, you know, how brilliant he is. He's doing well in grades. Then he started to get getting poor grades. Um, and as he was moving into this. He's moving into high school years. Yeah, now. moving into high school. Go ahead. Um, he they put him in in regular classes because of how how things had been in eighth grade, how much he had struggled. And so he was bored. You know, he was bored in those regular classes and he kept saying he wanted to take the, the honors classes. And without me being aware of it, he was going to the school counselor and arguing with her that he should be in honors classes, that he could handle it. You know, and so they eventually did put him back into honors classes. Um, 
and and then he couldn't keep up with it. So he he had the desire. He really wanted to be who he had been before as far as school and things. He wanted, he was acted in a play that fall. He was trying to do all those things. Um, and we didn't understand what was going wrong. Why, why was he having such a hard time when he didn't before? So we, you know, was it a lack of willpower, uh, lack of desire? Was it because of the mental illness and we weren't managing it well? It was very, very frustrating for him and for us to see him struggle so much with with his mental health and with his school and seeing him not even being able to complete assignments. He he would grasp the concepts. He understood things, but he struggled to complete homework and pay attention in class. Um, and at the same time, he is researching everything and chasing down ideas. And like Dave said, would know things that you could bring up any uh, current event and he would know details way beyond anything that we knew. It, there was just no point arguing with him because he knew best. Um, yeah, I think from my standpoint, this is a time period where I look back and uh, again, I'm so thankful for the very kind comments that so many people have posted of saying, you know, you're perfect parents. Well, there is no such thing as perfect parents. Uh, no, and this we is, were not. <laughs> no. And this is a time period I probably look back with a, um, a little bit of angst and and sorrow of you know having a child that can do things but is not doing them and with no understanding of why and I'm sure that uh, put a little more pressure on him than it should have but you know we didn't know didn't understand what was going on why 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 aren't you doing these things that you are more than capable of. Um, and I think one of the things that uh, we learned later is that he had this executive function disorder, meaning he couldn't make himself do something, um, which was just anathema to us. We just couldn't understand what was happening. You know, now looking back, we could see the, this whole gender dysphoria was just overwhelming him. So at, at this time, you know, from a physical standpoint, uh, he, Emma, as we called him at that time, because that's all we knew, hadn't had his period yet. And we're kind of wondering, you're, you're getting older compared to when your all your sisters had started. And um, Levi was also seeing an orthopedic at this time for a little bit of uh, concern about scoliosis. scoliosis and, yeah. and they always looked at the growth plates. And, you know, that. so their discussion was always, well, you know. It's, should be. You, you should be starting your period you right now. Having your period, so. What started was a series of visits with gynecologists and endocrinologists and various tests. And the blood work that was being taken was showing, hey, you do have a lower level of estrogen than normal and kind of a higher level of testosterone that would be expected for someone your age. Um, so the feeling and direction to the doctor was, you, you know, you need to get on hormones so you can have your uh, period. And, you know, we were concerned about bones and strengthening you know, system. So uh, his old OBGYN doctor said, you know, prescribe female hormones uh, for him to take. And uh, unfortunately, we found that uh, he wasn't taking them. Yeah, that that was something we found now and then. You know, you know how kids do that. We would find little piles of medicine that he just didn't want to take because he didn't like it. And so he was doing that with this. And when I told him that that it was really important that he he take the medicine. Uh, to to prevent something, you know, couldn't have been dangerous if he hadn't 
um, he he looked up with me with this kind of grin on his face and said, uh, I'm trans. And at first I thought he was just trying to get out of taking the medicine. So I didn't I didn't really believe him and, and started arguing with, you know, cut that out. You need to take the medicine, you know it. And then and then he stopped and he says, No, really, Mom, I am trans. And um, you know, that that really is something that we had no idea. We had no idea. He did not look or act in any way that we could tell that would make us think that that was a possibility. So it really was out of the blue, but we accepted him immediately. Um, he didn't really want me to tell Dave or anyone. He didn't want us to tell anyone, but I felt like, okay, I need to tell Dave so that he is prepared so that he doesn't react in a way that would not be good once he finds out. I felt like he should know. And um, it was not good. Our, our Levi and our other daughter were very, very angry at me for doing that, that I would tell him. I think they were extra worried because Dave, Dave had been a bishop. He was a member of the state presidency. He had always followed rules and obeyed church authority. Um, and they were very worried how he would react to this. And, and I think what looking from the outside, people would be surprised that both of us accepted him as he is. Uh, Pretty much immediately. Yes. Because um, we've been prepared uh, over a couple of years that our I guess our awareness and understanding of, of marginalized people had had really come to more to the fore. And so we were able to accept Levi coming out as saying, I'm trans, um, I'm trans male, I, I lean towards gay. Uh, our, you know, it, it was weird for us. You look at it, our four oldest girls, you know, it followed the script that we had for raising our kids, right? You're going to get your young women's medallion. You're going to be a seminary graduate. You're going to go to BYU. You're going to get married in the temple, so on, so on, so on. And they did one after the other. We thought, wow, we've got this down. Child rearing is easy. You know, this, this, this is pretty easy. <laughs> and then our fifth child, who is our, our son, Garrett, was 17, senior in high school. He comes to us and he says, I no longer believe in the church. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to BYU because we're at this point of determining college. And we always assumed since we were BYU grads, all previous four children had gone to BYU. It was something we could afford. Uh, but he said, no, I'm done with church. And, and we were shocked. He was disrupting this expected pattern that we had of, of raising kids in the church. But luckily, we had the presence of mind to say, well, Garrett, told us that he goes, I'm afraid by telling you this that you're going to kick me out of the house, that yeah. you'll dis disown me. And we said, Garrett, we love you. We love you. Our love for you is unconditional. You're part of our family. You, We recognize you have your agency. It's your life to live. This was a big change, obviously, for us mentally to, to go from, you know, this is what our family looks like to, to saying to a child and, and letting go of that control and saying to him, it's your path, it's your decision, what you do with your life. We love you and support you. And what's funny, uh, not funny, but looking back, we're new on this path. So we still got concessions from him saying, 
really want you to graduate from seminary because, you know, Kimi is the seminary teacher at this point. Which was really tough because he was there <laughs> giving me all kinds of looks. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we really want you to get your eagle. Good Mormon boys do. And so we're going to push you, push you till you, he'd you already He'd already completed his eagle project at that point. Just, all he needed to do was to write it up and submit it. Um, so looking back, yeah. we're not really proud of, of no. that, but... We were on the on the pathway of being more accepting, so we, we just held on a little bit. Luckily, um, you know, we met with our bishop at the time, who was Evan Smith, and some of your listeners may recognize that name. He's been on uh, many on your podcast and many others, speaking of his own transformation as his son, uh, eldest son, came out as gay. So Bishop Smith gave us some fantastic counsel as we told him, you know, here's what's going on with Garrett, and he told us after he listened to us. He said, you are doing the right thing. Um, Letting him know that your love is unconditional. It's not predicated on some church activity or outcome. Just keep loving him. Reminding him that he is loved and is an essential, integral part of the family and that you're proud of him. So that that experience really helped us to open our minds and hearts and abandon that tendency to, to live your life through, through your children. And, you know, there was a period we did have to mourn and quickly get over the expectations that, that we placed on him. You know, this whole expectation of what his life would look like, from what we heard from his patriarchal blessing. Uh, that, was, that was hard to let go of that. And we realized that, you know, he is a good kid. and We love him and he can follow his own path and, and have an amazing life. So that was a big change for us. Uh, next followed uh, George Floyd and. In the Black Lives Matter. Um, you know, I was raised in the South, born in Texas. Uh, we lived in Georgia. We lived in Alabama. I, when I was a bishop, it was in Montgomery, Alabama, a city which is approximately 50% uh, Black. I was blessed to serve with some amazing Black members in, in our congregation. However, even with that proximity, I don't think I had a, I didn't have a full understanding or have an understanding of what their lives were like. And as I read their Facebook posts during this time, after the death of George Floyd, and the fear that they had for their own children, every time they sent him out the door uh, to go anywhere, concern, are they going to come back? Uh, fear over what kind of presence they gave their, their children, um, definitely not wanting to give them anything that looked like a BB gun or any kind of uh, toy weapon that uh, didn't want them to be in danger of being shot. And that just shook me because I've never had those thoughts before of, for my own children. So uh, Kimi, being a librarian, uh, we took time to educate ourselves. And you- we, we read a lot of a lot of anti-racist books, just one after another, and learned a lot from them. I remember um, we had a, a vacation home in Maine. I remember driving just Levi and I up to Maine and um, listening to one of them in the book so he was listening to it with me he was probably i don't know how, i'm not quite sure 14 15 maybe at that point and listening to this book and just becoming so angry about what what um our, our black brothers and sisters have experienced in our society and how unfair it was so it it, it really did help us to soften our hearts and see things from a perspective that we weren't used to. And and I think that was really important that we learned, we were learning to do that, to have more empathy and to um, 
realize that that people suffer things that we aren't aware of and don't understand because we don't have the same experience. All right. So, and at that time, I, I had the privilege of um, being a friend and ministering brother to Evan and Cheryl Smith, that, as I talked about, who was uh, who was our bishop, and that gave me a, a pretty close up view of their journey in supporting their son uh, Wes, who came out as gay prior to his mission. And again, with some embarrassment, I recall the back and forth of emails and texts and discussions that I had with Evan during this time, where I communicated from a position of not understanding, of uh, not understanding, even though I had some proximity, I didn't understand, uh, didn't realize Evan had read and researched and thought and prayed over the subject of gays in the church more than I ever would. And he kindly directed me and myself to various sources that helped us on our journey to where we hope we are um, queer allies. Uh, I would say, if, if you're not familiar with Evan, his book, Gay Latter-day Saint Crossroads, My Journey, Your Journey, and a Scripture-Based Path Forward, it's a great resource, and I would recommend it for anyone who wants to be more conversant in this area. So, with that background and preparation, when Levi came out to us and said, hey, I'm trans and gay, we were able to recognize, to readily accept him. Uh, and tell them, honestly, we love you, we fully support you, and we will do whatever needs to be done for you so you can be who you want to be. So a, a few months later, um, those changes still weren't happening that needed to happen. So he, he was going through a whole lot of tests, and we learned through some of those tests, we, we, we learned something that we never, ever had heard of or even thought of being possible. And he, Levi had something called Swire syndrome. It's spelled S-W-Y-E-R. Um, I remember I, I was sleeping in a little bit on a Friday morning. I had Fridays off from work. And Dave coming in saying he'd gotten a call from the doctor's office. And he tells me that Levi's chromosome, chromosomes were all XY. And I, I was shocked. I said, what? What? What do you mean? You know, and asking what that is. Swire syndrome uh, describes a series of genetic mutations that cause an individual to express female anatomy. In other words, they are born looking female, but they are genetically male with XY chromosomes. So our youngest had all the body parts associated with being female, except that he wasn't. He had XY chromosomes. So if he were to die and be identified by his DNA, a medical examiner would say that he was male. So um, he was so unique in this. The, we, we took him to Boston Children's Hospital with their, their GEMS program. It's called Gender Man Multi-Specialty. Gender so, Man Management Services. Management Services, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, they had never seen this particular mutation in, in their Swire syndrome cases that they dealt with. So he was literally a sample size of one. So Levi, once he learned about this, did what he always did. He started researching. He, and pretty soon he became more expert on intersex conditions and Swire syndrome and transgender than, than most people would be. I remember taking him to an appointment 
at Boston Children's and meeting with the endocrinologist there. And uh, she had um, a medical, I don't know, it was a medical student or an intern or whoever it was that was shadowing her that day. So she began talking to Levi, you know, the way that you would expect, the kind of normally do. And at one point, Levi stops her and asks her a question. And I couldn't even repeat the question because I didn't even understand it at the time. But I was watching the, the medical student that was shadowing the endocrinologist. And as Levi asked his question, his eyes got really wide and his jaw dropped as if like, what is this child asking? You know, and after that, the endocrinologist said, oh, wait, I forgot. It's you. And then began speaking to him as if he were a medical student. Um, that's how much he researched and knew about his condition. So when we asked him how he identified himself, he said that he was intersex, leaning toward male and gay. And so we asked him what kind of, what name he should go by. And at first he selected the name Twine, as in string, T-W-I-N-E. And we thought that was an interesting choice, but we, we accepted it. He didn't really explain why. Um, but after a while, he, he came to where he disliked it. He didn't want to. He was kind of embarrassed that he had uh, chosen that name. Um, and then he chose the name Levi, which he felt he kept the rest of the time. And we really liked the name Levi. We thought that was a good name for him. Yeah, it was, so we're aware of this. We're taking Levi now to the, this GEMS program at Boston Children's Hospital, which fantastic people, just wonderful. Um, gender affirming care that they offer and so again being supported levi do you want to cut your hair is there any kind of change of clothes that you want um uh do you want to discard your dresses and he said no i, I might still wear them um there was this duality um uh, which we learned later even in the name of twine and levi there's this duality that we, we just totally missed and misunderstood um he insisted at this time, you know, after having been hospitalized twice for suicidal ideation, you know, as a parent, you're always concerned. Every time we would leave and come back, you're, you're, you have back in the back of your mind, you're fearful what you may find. And we would ask him, Levi, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And he insisted he was not suicidal. He would tell his therapist, no, I'm fine. Uh, yes, I have anxiety and depression, but I'm not suicidal. But at the same time, we saw him struggle more and more with life. I mean, he's spending his time in bed, a lot of time with the covers over his head. Uh, and he wasn't eating well. He had a, a very bizarre sleep schedule, up all day, night sometimes, sleeping all day. And then he would reverse next week, uh, just going back and forth. Uh, we took him to a nutritionist who said, uh, you know, we're concerned that he wasn't weighing enough. He looked a little thin. So... He said, hey, don't worry about nutrition. Just try to get him to eat anything. So he loved his Taco Bell tacos and could eat eight at a time. He loved his Domino pizza and sweet tart ropes and Lay's potato chips and Doritos and basically all the junk food that you try to keep away from your kids. We were giving it to Levi. Just whatever you want, eat, eat it. <laughs> so uh, He loved that. <laughs> yeah, he did. Quite often, usually after a, a doctor's appointment somewhere, it was either Taco Bell or Dunkin' Donuts and... He, and he knew it. Taco <laughs> Bell? Yeah. So he loved that. Yeah. So at this time, you know, it was in his sophomore year. He, he 
really ended up struggling at school even more so, right? So it became a point where we had so many uh, meetings with school, school psychologists, counselors, and teachers trying to have a, you know, we had a 504 plan, but not a, uh, what is it called? IEP, Individual Education Plan. Basically, to the point where he wasn't doing anything. So he dropped out out of a sophomore year uh, from school. And so we thought, okay, can you do independent study? So we, we started him up on that. But he didn't do that either. He didn't do that either. And so, you know, this was pandemic had been going on. Uh, he wasn't going to go back to school. He wouldn't complete his assignments. And, and I think here, as I look back earlier, you know, I said about maybe how we kind of handled, I personally handled things with him. Before now, you know, we're just focused on trying to keep Levi alive and realizing, you know, we can't force him to do things. And that was actually counterproductive. So we're just there encouraging him, loving him and trying to do whatever we could. Um, you know, he wanted to learn to drive. So we signed him up for driving, uh, driving lessons. Um, so we were just really focusing on, on mental issues at this point, trying to get him into a better state. So he had... At this time, he had started on testosterone, or we were we were taking him right. to the gen pro- program at, at Boffin Children's. And I had asked the endoc- endocrinologist um, if if the transitioning helped with the mental health issues. I wanted to know because even though he was telling us he wasn't suicidal, obviously he still was having a lot of, of struggles and issues. And uh, the endocrinologist said, "Oh, yeah, they just." Those, those things tend to just melt away, the depression, anxiety. So I was counting on that. I was excited for him to start testosterone, just praying for the, the difference in his mental health. Um, unfortunately, that's not the way it worked. Um, yeah, so we'll take this now to... You know, to, to finish up school, he said, hey, you know, yes, I dropped out, but I, I'll get my GED after I turn 18. I'll go to, um, you know. Community college. Yeah. Get a degree in something. So here we are now in December of 2022. Um, we're trying to find a new therapist. Uh, he hadn't liked any of them. Uh, because really, in fairness to them, he wasn't doing any of the things that they suggested. Right. So uh, and not opening up to them, not really participating in his own therapy. Right. And um, so it was frustrating for all of us. And, and what we saw, what he saw, he really wasn't capable right now of doing anything with his life. He, he didn't like living in the house. He didn't want to be seen by anyone. Um, wouldn't ride his bike or ride the skateboard out in the neighborhood because we he didn't want anyone to see him. Yeah. So we were we were realizing that it was very likely, very possible that he never would be able to live on his own and take care of himself and and earn a living or do all those things. So we had um, made plans for one of his siblings to be his guardian and had set aside a trust to take care of him for the rest of his life. It needs to be. Um, um, but still encouraging him to do things. It was it was difficult. You, we watched over these years, every time we started a new therapy or new medications or we, we went through the hospitalization or whatever it was, there was that hope that that he would really get better. And he didn't. 
he never did. He just seemed to get worse, even though, um, like I said, he told us he wasn't uh, suicidal. Nothing else got better. Nothing else. It just kept getting worse and worse. So I think here appropriate to offer another trigger warning. We'll, we'll talk about uh, the day that he passed. And that was um, Sunday, December 18th of 2022. We'd gone to church. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, Levi didn't go with us. So we went to church. We came back. We prepared dinner and we called to our to Levi, who's the only child at home, you know, come on down. And we didn't get any response. So I went up to his room. Uh, where he usually was, uh, he wasn't there. So, oh, he must be in the basement. So, went down to the basement and I saw the, the door was tightly closed with a, a note that said, uh, suicide note, don't open door, call the police. And it really was a small act of grace that uh, preceded the pouring out of the years of pain and fears that he experienced. He apologized, he expressed his love to family and friends. He had really feared turning 18 and trying to navigate as an adult. And he explained in the note that he could not get himself to do anything. He couldn't see being able to do so. And this was very, very, uh, just hit a gut punch, if you will. He couldn't live as a woman, but be a man. He couldn't bear to come out, even some family members. So through all this, he had not come out to all his siblings. Even though we had encouraged him to do so, that they would love him and encourage him. And I, I think he knew that, but he just couldn't even come out to, to his family. So he, he wasn't out. Uh, in his words, he said, quote, I can't take living like a girl being the way I am. Yet I am too much of a coward to come out to my siblings or to do anything to make my body match my mind more. I am terrified of how society treats transgender persons, close quote. In a typical Levi fashion, uh, he made it clear the decision was his. There was uh, no one was to blame. He indicated that he goes, I really don't like it when people blame the media or games or music or anything. This was his decision. And his final sentence, sentences state, quote, this is not the fault of any of you. My brain is just faulty. I'm excited to finally be free, close quote. And he signed a letter, and he, his signature is clear, even though he had really bad handwriting usually. <laughs> but this was clear, confident, and certain for use the name that he'd recently come up with and asked us to use. And that it was of Hebrew origin, and kind of in the same way that Twine's first dictionary definition is, quote, a strong string of two or more strands twisted together, close quote. His name means united, joined, adhered to, joined together, or joined in harmony. Close quote. So we don't know if he understood all that, uh, but Levi was the perfect name. And it's really what we hope and pray for in our church or society in the world that we are united, that we become joined in harmony in the Zion society. After, you know, after this, as you know, friends shared their stories of Levi, we really loved uh, hearing that from one of Levi's sisters and one of friends that Levi was very compassionate. And when people were having a hard time, Levi would just sit quietly with them, uh, listen to their pain and their suffering and not try to fix them, but just sit with them and be with them. And, and that brought them comfort. So he, he truly modeled mourning with those who mourned and comforting those who stand in need of comfort. 
And that has happened even since his death. Um, his friends, two of his friends visited us a couple of weeks ago. And one of them shared, she, she's had a lot of her own struggles. And she shared that she was having a really tough time one day and really struggling. And out of the blue, she said he wasn't even thinking about him. But out of the blue, she heard Levi's voice tell her to, to calm down, take a, take a break. And he comforted her. Yeah, don't don't do anything irrational or stupid, but uh, just just chill. It'll be all okay. That meant so much to us. We so much appreciated uh, her sharing that story with us. And our prayer is that we can learn to be like Levi and, and sit with those who are suffering and share their pain and bring them comfort. As we end, you know, we're just so grateful for the huge number of shares of Levi's story. You know, and all the comments that we've received, Richard, um, we have mourned with those who have lost their loved ones uh, who are queer um, or for whatever reason. And our hearts go out to those who live with trans and intersex family that may struggle with suicide uh, ideation. Our hope is that by telling this story, which is difficult because we, we are private people, our, our hope is that people will consider maybe what they haven't considered if they don't have proximity to this, uh, To this, that their hearts will open and change and uh, we can all work together to hopefully, you know, overturn laws that ban gender affirming, uh, life-saving care. Uh, it really struck us studying the New Testament this year, thinking about Jesus and, and his mortal ministry and, and where he spent his time and it was ministering to the marginalized, the poor, the sick, the others, those who were othered. And and what I see as we've become closer to the queer community, to see the love that's there, see Jesus really working so closely with that group that um, it's, it's a journey that we wouldn't have wished for ourselves, but it's one where we look back on, we're so glad Levi came into our lives and that he's helped us to be different from who we were. Um, he has been we we think we think heavenly father every night when we pray for the opportunity to be levi's parents you know we could have easily said no we're you know too old to have children too tired can't handle having another one we could have easily said that i'm not advocating for people to have more children than they feel comfortable with this was a problem this was our story um but we we as hard as it was we are truly blessed to have that to be his parents and to to see the journey that he went on and we have been changed because of that in in dave's eulogy um he added the song from from wicked uh what is it called for good for good that's the word for good and where it talks about that how we are changed by the people who come into our lives so as hard as it's been this last five years, we we've watched him um, slowly die. Really, he it's been such a blessing to be his parents, such a blessing, and and we hope that what our purpose through um, doing these podcasts or, or sharing things on social media isn't to aggrandize ourselves. We, we prefer privacy. But to share what we have learned from him, 
uh, and pray that it makes a, a difference in people's lives. And we have seen a difference in people's lives. People who have talked to us said that their minds have been changed because of this. So um, that's the story. That's that's <laughs> what we have. Yeah. Well, I join with all of our listeners that just want to reach out wherever they are and give you both a big hug for your courage to share this story about Levi. And I think it honors him and it brings us together as the same human family. Um, listeners, I can't do this justice, but I kind of write down things that come to my mind that maybe the same things that come to your mind, or you may have questions or observations. I love your word proximity that you both used and, and having proximity to people really can change how we feel about people and see teachings through the New Testament like you've invited us to do in a lens that um, is different and helps us want to love. Um, I love um, one of the things in Levi's um, that you wrote in your Facebook post is he was, you know, it was this terror of how society treated trans people and Listeners, we're recording this on um, Trans Day of Visibility. Um, oh, I didn't realize that. That was today. <laughs> I just realized that too. We won't obviously be released till April, but I find it um, intentional that maybe none of us knew this, but maybe Levi knew this and wanted this podcast to be recorded on the National Day of Trans Visibility. That's part of his mission and your mission and other people. And the body of Christ are trying to help understand trans people. And so I think those are good things. Um, I under, understand, and I'm glad you addressed the political crosswinds he's in and the terror that created to him. And um, I feel really sad where we are society and supporting trans people. And that's become in the middle of our political discord. And um, I'm really uncomfortable about that, as I'm sure you are, and obviously how Levi felt to have his identity somehow um, be part of a political discord as a way to gain votes and create fear, and and how different that is in the way that Jesus taught us to love everybody. Right, and, right. And both political parties are air at that at times, but particularly on the trans thing, um, I'm just really uncomfortable about one political party and and some within that party that seem to use that as a way to create fear and get votes versus to do what I think we can do as political parties is stand for a political platform without demonizing people. And Levi, Levi is, you know, an innocent victim of that. And um, I'm glad you talked about even that. Even here, I'm sorry, um, even here in Massachusetts, where, you know, we're much more affirming than, than some other states, uh, at the Boston Children's Hospital, apparently they get weekly bomb threats, and even some of the doctors in the GEMS program have had death threats. So no no place is entirely safe from, from those kinds of attitudes, unfortunately. That's just heartbreaking. And um, I just, it's just heartbreaking, and the importance of what it you're is. doing, and um, I love this quote from Brene Brown, kind of back to Droid Floyd, um, and this applies to trans people. Black matters is Black Lives Matters is a movement to humanize Black people. All lives matter, but not all lives need to be pulled back into moral inclusion. So that helped me understand the importance of Black Lives Matter, and 
and trans day of visibility and understanding the road that queer people walk. Um, you have some wonderful, I want to say something that I wish our listeners could see is the love you have for each other and the tender interaction here. You've lost a child and you, that can pull parents apart and maybe you've had some difficult moments, (laughs) but what I've seen here is the love you have for each other. You watch each other talk, your vigil, your communication, your body language to each other is very love affirming and you want each other to share your story. You're not talking over each other and, it just gave me a kind of a window into the who you are and the marriage you have and the culture you have in your family. So thank you for that. Um, it's interesting. We, we, we talked about that last night. Um, just what you said, this sort of tragedy can quite often uh, pull marriages apart. And we've experienced the opposite. You know, we've, we're like anyone. We've had our, our moments in our marriage that aren't aren't that great. <laughs> it have been better. But, um, we we have really pulled together with this whole experience and we are much closer because of it. I love you. Some of this vocabulary, his body was fighting against itself. And I love that you even wondered if the autism and some of the other things were more at the top of the iceberg. I sometimes think more symptoms of the core challenge that he was walking and you were open to sort of wondering if all that was connected in some way. Um, I recognize that, I don't know how to word this, but there's sort of a biological understanding of your story and why Levi's trans. And for some people that don't have that biological understanding, they're they're not intersex. I hope we give as much grace to those stories. We may, and you're both nodding your head, you understand this well, we may, you know, in 10 years or 20 years, understand, you know, why someone that's feels long-term gender dysphoria and there's not sort of the explanation that Levi has. I'm not in any way diminishing his story, but I think it just causes us to say science is our friend. We may learn more about why other people feel long-term just gender dysphoria. And there's a lot of stories in this space and just hearing one story doesn't sort of give us sort of the totality of people walking this space. Any comments on that? Yeah, I think that really glad that you said that, Richard, is that I think what we've learned is that we need to believe people when they talk about who their identity is or who their what their orientation is, that you know, we recognize nobody would just choose this willy-nilly. They wouldn't put themselves in, in situations for such uh, pain or persecution or, or ostracized, being ostracized. Um, and I think that's one thing that we've learned is to people um, need to be their authentic selves and we need to trust that they know who they are and listen to them and not think it's just, uh, oh, it's some societal thing that it's the cool thing to be. No, these are, these are real tough um, areas that are, when somebody comes and makes a statement to you as, as a parent or as a, as a leader, you know, these are something we need to pay attention to because they're really, Accept them, yeah. They accept them and love them, but they're they're from their core of who, who right. they feel they are. Right. And no one, like Ade was saying, no one would want to go through the process that Levi was going through. They would not take that on just to be part of the cool kids or whatever, because it's a long, difficult process. It was several months of appointments before we even got to the point of 
them saying, okay, we need to start you on testosterone. And that was only because he did not have enough hormones in his body of, of any kind. He had to make a choice between one or the other. I don't know how long it would have taken if, if um, he hadn't had that. So it's, and I know that every time he went in, they would take him aside and, and into private you know, office or whatever, and ask him if this is what he wanted to do. Are you sure about this? Over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. So no, anyone going through this process, it's something they need to do for themselves. It's who they are. And like you said, I'm glad you talked about how we don't know in the future, 10 years from now, we may learn more about transitioning and transgender that we just don't understand right now. And it's not for us to decide. It's that we should accept and love people as they are. Um, well said. And um, I just, um, I'm really uncomfortable where we are as a society with this. And I, I use the quote from Brene Brown listeners a lot to help me understand common enemy intimacy is the opposite of true belongings. The bond we share is simply we hate the same people. The intimacy we experience is intense, immediately gratifying, and an easy way to discharge our outrage and pain. It's not how for fuel for real connection. So if our faith community or political party is creating common enemy intimacy about fear of another group, I don't think that's consistent with Jesus and not his ministry. All. And it may get votes. Um, it may come, create community. But within the community, I don't think it's healthy. It creates anxiety and stress and part of the societal problems we have, even within the common enemy, let alone the tender, vulnerable people that are victims of that vitriol, like Levi, and the fear right. that that put, instilled in him. And that didn't come from you as parents. I think our listeners would be really mad at me if I didn't tell you how much they think you did such a great job. You weren't perfect, but it sounds like you did some really wonderful things to try to figure this out. Um, we, we I love what you we said. Did, I think we did the best that we could, and and I think other people in the same situation, I would hope, would would also do the best that they could to help their child. But you asked him what name you wanted after you kind of understood the bottom of the iceberg. Here, it took a long time to get to the bottom of the iceberg, but once you got there, you asked him what name. And then you learned about Twine and you learned about Levi. So these are all just, to me, um, you validating the reality of his life and and seeing the perp- the intentional work that Levi was doing. And he seems like kind of an introvert, um, not sharing a lot of this, but I think you're helping us understand this is incredibly bright, capable, thoughtful, intentional. And when these friends reach out and talk to you about Levi's infants for good in their lives, I think it helps all of us better understand this wonderful young man. Um, I'm grateful for your friends, Gordon. We're in the show notes, listeners. There's five things I'm going to listen to, link to, the obituary, um, Dave and Kimi's Facebook post, the eulogy, um, Iriantum, if I'm saying that right, written by Gordon. Is that close enough? Right. And and Evan's and Cheryl's Crossroads article that um, Dave mentioned. Those five will be in the show notes. Um, Cheryl and Evan Smith, um, terrific people that you've referenced and their role in your life. They're on episode 291 if you want to go back and rehear their story. Um, other thoughts that come to your mind? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> this has been honestly pretty um, emotional, yes. writing all that down and, and talking about it. feel a little bit... Uh, <laughs> Drained. Little, yeah, <laughs> and, and I very much appreciate you know people have reached out through you know personal messenger to us off Facebook and just want them to know if if we can't totally respond. I mean, we're still going through our own private grieving uh, response, but we appreciate those who have shared and, and we do mourn with those that mourn and and they are in our prayers. It's just very tough for us to get. I think to deal with the amount of exposure now that it has and just help them to understand, you know, we're still going through our own process right now. It's really honest. And we've had some other parents that have lost a queer child to suicide and I'm grateful for them as well as you sharing your story. I think it's really courageous and, uh, but you're right. This has changed your life. And I guess your life will always be known before that December day. And after that December day, and you've got, you know, 12 grandkids, I think, and a lot of good things going on. And, but this will change. And um, I appreciate just the emotional capital it takes to get up every morning and potentially respond to a message. And, um, but I'm just looking still at Levi's picture that you put up on the one you chose for his obituary. And this young man is just full of life. I mean, that, that face is just full of life. And I we're we're fortunate to even have that picture. He did not like his picture being taken. <laughs> We'd have to do kind of a stealth picture taking. But um, last summer, we we were at Bear Lake, our big family get together, and had a good friend who was a photographer who lived not too far away, and she came in and took family pictures for us. So we were able to get that last picture, and so grateful for that that we. We made him have his picture taken <laughs> so that we could have that. Um, I kept telling him, we're not going to have any pictures of you if you don't let us take pictures now and then. <laughs> well, it's a great picture. And That's the thing that... Go ahead, Dave. One of the things that I'm very hopeful for is I see how our kids are, re- are raising their, their kids, our yes. grandkids, how much... I won't say better, more attuned they are to, to things and, and not assuming because you look back and uh, as we, how we raised ours and again, putting these expectations on that they don't do it and really having thoughtful discussions of, you know, when they're young saying, Hey, um, you know, mommy and daddy, you know, boys like girls, but sometimes boys like boys and sometimes girls like girls. And that's, that's okay. Those are all fine. And having discussions of not putting expectations or trying to live our life through them. Because sometimes just naturally we, we hope for our grandchildren for certain things, realizing that in doing that, sometimes that can be putting on uh, mental anguish if they don't see that for themselves because they, they need to lead their own life. And so being able to give people their own their own agency is something that they're still learning to to be better about. It's a really good segment. I love you talking about your son. I believe Garrett, uh, mm-hmm. if I've got yes. the name right, and just saying, you know, we're going to keep the family circled together. Right. And um, we're going to have a strong family as long as we all want to do that. I guess there's some situations where a kid wants to disconnect from a family. But I think fortunately, listeners, he <laughs> well, fortunately, he doesn't. That's good. And I just think listeners, we can 
you know, teach and invite people to follow church teachings and invite people. At the end of the day, we need to do what, you know, you suggested that segment way back in the podcast is I'll walk with you. You're part of the family. I honor your agency. And I think you even said you can have a good life ahead of you. And I think that's okay to say is you can have a good life. It does. We mourn as parents and we worry, but I think it's okay to say that. I think it says you trust them and you believe in them. And I think those are good values to instill in our children. I just don't want to stop because I just feel like <laughs> you probably, it's just for our listeners, I just want to make sure, is there anything else that just comes to your mind? I think we've said okay. everything that we could think of. Either that or it would lead into a really long discussion. <laughs> yeah, I I'm think sure we're good. Prepared for that. But thank you. I think you've been terrific parents and you've done the very best. And I, I think you know that and you, it doesn't take away the grief and the pain. But I think on behalf of our listeners, we hope you feel peace. Um, peace on some level. Levi is gone and that's never going to change. But peace that um, in this eternal perspective of things that all your, this is what I say to people when mortal realities change is there maybe that's true. I wouldn't want to dismiss that and give a simple platitude, but I'd say maybe eternal possibilities and eternal hopes haven't changed, even with mortality significantly changed. So that's sort of my 40,000 foot view of the plan of salvation that I believe in and doesn't take away pain, doesn't take away grief, doesn't, you wish Levi were here every day. Um, and that's me talking to anybody's lost one. So, and with that, I think we're going to sign off. So. Um, Kimi, tell me, tell everybody how to um, spell your name so they can just or, and see your name. They need to see it the right way. We know how to okay, see Dave, yeah. but I want people to visualize your name. Visualize my name. Um, I know I, it's something I have spelled my entire life. I automatically do it when I introduce myself. It's spelled K-I-M-I, pronounced Kimi, like Mimi with a K. Okay. Uh, it is a Japanese name. My dad went on a mission to Japan, and that's how I got my name. Well, names are important, and I like uh, you helping our listeners to know how your name is spelled and pronounced. And, and <laughs> Levi's the name. That's I go through every time I, well, I don't always say about it, that it's Japanese, but um, yeah, well, every time I introduce myself. Names are really important. It's part of our identity. It's part of our faith. We care about names in our faith, and I love named Levi. So with that, Levi, I hope somehow you are aware of all the, the good you're doing and that your memory is not forgotten and, and you continue to bless people's lives. And so this is Richard Osler and the Martins signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>